0: Welcome to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast, located inside the School of Health and Human Sciences at IUPUI in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm your host, Travis Smith, a proud sport management alum, adjunct faculty member, and associate editor of the Sports Innovation Journal here at IUPUI. On this podcast, we look to highlight the innovative practitioners and scholars in sports to learn and design think the future of the industry together. Thanks for listening to the Sports Innovation Institute podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to the IUPUI Sports Innovation Institute podcast. I'm Travis Smith, back here today with another one of our research authors that is now in the Sports Innovation Journal, Dr. Heather Lawrence of Ohio University. Thanks for being on the podcast to talk about you and your colleague's research.
2: Thank you so much. Can't wait to get into it today with you.
1: Yeah, so the paper's called Applying Activity-Based Costing to Intercollegiate Athletics. So, my first question is just going to be right to it. What is activity-based costing as, a, as an accounting method?
2: Sure. So activity-based costing is a method to try to understand the true cost of any sort of operations within it, whether it's business, whether it is an academic unit, or in our case, intercollegiate athletics and sports sponsorship. And what it does is takes what is normally considered costs that are general and spread out, and maybe don't fit within either a manufacturing unit, an academic department, or some more defined business unit. And it tries to go ahead and define those costs, and then accurately, or more accurately, attribute those costs back to the unit which they, which using the resource, or using that funding.
1: Yeah, and so, I understand from working in college athletics and, and studying it too, that um, I've asked multiple athletic directors on my, on my uh, other podcasts, why is it so hard to get financial reporting? Right. And, and I get a variety of answers, but so maybe you can just say, what is the current problem with the financial reporting that exists now? And how would A V C accounting solve that problem? So we talked about we talked kind of explaining what it was, but how does it solve, today's college athletics uh, problems.
2: Sure. So accountants are familiar with the term gap, right? So there's some generally accepted accounting practices. And then within higher education, there's a very standardized university level accounting, auditing, budgeting, financing, um, all of those pieces at the institutional level. What's a little bit less defined is requirements for athletics departments. And of course, if you're listening to this, you probably are very familiar with the fact that there is a lot of pressure on college athletics to be more transparent in their spending, for people to be able to understand where the money goes, both revenue and expenses. And so even though we're focusing on the expense side, the revenue aspect of this is also kind of the next step to the conversation. But when you combine the fact that the athletics department generally is not held to the same accounting processes as the university overall. They may submit it one way to the university and it's accounted for in GAAP, but the athletics department in general is not required to conform to a certain type of accounting practice and then make those results public to their constituents. And so what happens is you've got a variety of different internal accounting methods being used by athletics departments for their own use. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It could be just historical, it could be the person that's in charge, or it could be mandated by the university in some scenarios. Now, when you start to throw in the NCAA and the federal government, you get even more variance in the types of accounting that could be used in financial reporting. And I think the term accounting and financial reporting are almost used interchangeably, but we obviously recognize that true um, accounting procedures and finance um, are are really different things. So if we break those down between um, the NCAA and what happens with respect to requirements of reporting there, institutions do report individual expenditures, um, to the NCAA, but the NCAA shares it in aggregate format. So it's incredibly helpful to research, resource, researchers, to stakeholders, to the general public to understand general trend lines by different categories. It shows you by division, it talks about spending by sport, it looks at changes in expenses and revenues and all sorts of different categories but what it does not allow you to do is drill down on one institution you may be interested in. And then the other main area in which um, accounting information is provided is through the federal government and the Equity and Athletics Disclosures Act, which I think we'll probably get to later. But when you combine combine the varying types of methods used and the pressure for all of us to have a better understanding in what's happening in higher education and intercollegiate athletics funding, those two things come to a head and suggest that it's time for a standardized accounting practice and activity-based costing is one of those methods.
1: Yeah, I think everyone wants it to be as accurate as possible. And and I think they're understandable that, that I think it's pretty much accepted that financial reporting is going to be different whenever you do it. I mean, there's a lot of people that focus on, like, the USA Today sports figures or the Knight Commission um, uh, figures, things like that. But if we get more accurate, just think how much the research could actually improve, I would think, too. Um, But you mentioned in the paper the UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham, dropping football. And that was a pretty big big thing because it doesn't happen a lot where people – uh, looked to drop their, their football program, and you talk about how lack of financial transparency limited what consultants, I believe they used three different ones, to provide the leadership of the university and athletic department. Can you expand on that and why you, felt, you all felt that it was important to put it in the paper?
2: Sure, Travis. So the University of Alabama at Birmingham faced a really tough financial scenario at one point in time. Um, They were forced into tough decisions and one of those became looking at the possibility of eliminating sports. So when they did that, and this is from publicly available information, none of the authors were associated with UAB at the time um, or since, but given what was released publicly in consulting reports and popular media and institutional press releases, the university, um, accounting methods and finance were released to as the evidence for consultants to make their recommendation as to what the true cost of the sport was, what the ramifications of dropping different sports were, and how to kind of get out of the financial scenario they were in. What happened then is that um, another group used a different set but it's the same, the same money exists. And so it's interesting when you end up with two different sets of financial data from which two different sets of consultants come back with recommendations. And so even in a scenario where you were trying to um, have different consultants look at the same problem, if you're providing them different financial sets, the recommendations that come back can be very, very different. And so it's not a criticism of any of the consultants or any of the people involved in the process, but ultimately the institution based on differing results from consultants um, had dropped the sport. And then the boosters had boosters and many um, proponents of of having football um, advocated in a successful way for re-engaging the sport. And then the institution actually made some pretty significant investments moving forward. And so it's just kind of one example. And football is obviously something that's a little bit more visible. Um, I suspect those types of conversations happen internally a lot more often. And even with internal meetings or conversations about budgeting, whether it's to drop a sport, add a sport, make priority decisions on where the money is going, it's difficult to do when you have parts of your budget that aren't directly um they're not attributable to a specific sport
1: yeah and it makes me it kind of makes me think of um what happened with uh was it bowling green baseball uh that's going through a similar thing where they announced that the the was one of the first sports that was going to be cut due to covid related and then they had enough financial support support to get it back and so you kind of wonder if uh if internally the financial reporting will change or they found something in looking at the numbers um, that now maybe they can can support it. And speaking of COVID-19, does this make it an opportune time for such a change in accounting methods? Does it maybe shed more light on why you all uh, believe in ABC?
2: I think all you have to do is look at the numbers. There's a a growing list of schools that are having to make these tough decisions you mentioned BG Baseball and the Boosters just really stepping up from a funding perspective. So I'm not quite sure if that is based on maybe not understanding um, the true alumni support and willingness um, to give to continue that program, or if there's some sort of financial reporting that's associated with that. But if you think about the financial pressure that institutions are under right now as of July 2020, Um, and where we might be headed. We still don't have decisions about return to play scenarios. We don't have decisions about different contractual obligations related to guarantee games. The financial situation in intercollegiate athletics is not gonna resolve itself in a snap of the fingers, and it's certainly not gonna resolve itself anytime soon if if, um, some of our perceived revenue sports over the next six or eight months don't happen, or if they happen in a very modified way or even if schools, both power five, group of five, and others um, are held to different contractual obligations. So I think we we talk a lot about the group of five schools losing out on guarantee game revenue, but don't forget the power five schools are losing out on their home game revenue. Otherwise it wouldn't be entering into guarantee game contracts. Um, So it's a huge financial hit to everybody. And even without knowing what the future holds over the next six to eight months, especially with football, we're seeing institutions, not just in athletics, but across the board, taking 10% salary cuts, laying off three, four 400, 500 people on campus. Athletics is not immune to that overall. And when athletics is perceived to not be taking their share of the cuts, the scrutiny on the financial situation in the athletics department escalates even further. And so I think between the actual financial situation that's impacting athletics and the increased scrutiny by campus and external constituents on athletics finances, this is an opportune time to take a look at becoming more accurate so that the public is well aware of what's happening and that institutional decisions can be made in a way that it's fair and equitable to everybody on campus.
0: Hey listeners, a quick message and then we'll get right back to the interview. I wanted to quickly tell you that the Sports Innovation Journal is now accepting submissions. If you have or are looking for a place to publish your innovative thoughts and studies on the sports industry, then please consider the Sports Innovation Journal. We are an open access journal and our target audience is the practitioner looking for answers to the questions and problems in their job and we want to attract and publish researchers that are identifying and studying those questions and problems if you are interested in learning more about the journal and wanting to submit or sign up to be a reviewer then visit the link in the episode notes or email dr david pierce the editor and director of the sports innovation institute at d p i e r c e 3 at iupui.edu d pierce 3 at iupui.edu now let's get back to the interview
1: Yeah, I think coming out of this, we're going to see a lot of changes, and it seems like from reading through the paper that the more info you can get, the more accurate you can get as an institution. I could see university side, maybe not the athletic side, but the university side wanting to start requiring this so that they can actually know the true um, kind of costs of everything associated with their athletic programs. And I, you, you also mentioned about the EADA and the NCAA reporting. Uh, how does the financial reporting requirements differ between the NCAA and the EADA that you can find um, through research? Uh, how are those different?
2: Sure. So as we quickly mentioned, the NCA data is fantastic for trendline data, grouping of institutions in certain sectors, and looking sport by sport. Uh, the Equity in Athletics Disclosure Act data, or the cutting tool, as is commonly known on the... Um, on the publicly available information, requires that institutions annually submit specific financial reporting uh, tied to aspects that are with, with, within the realm of analyzing Title IX compliance. And so it's really looking at side-by-side comparisons of spending on men's and women's team scholarships, operating costs, coaching salaries, And it was a great step forward when it became implemented and when it became available publicly, because what it did is it allowed the general public, a prospective student, a parent, the opportunity to investigate a school that they're interested in and understand the amount of resources that are going to teams or by gender, if that was of interest to them, or even what the coaching support was from a number of coaches or salaries. Since then, the tool has evolved in a way that's become great for researchers in that you can filter, download, cut, and really kind of get your statistical analysis started. Um, So it's an amazing tool. It is reliant upon the quality of the information received by institutions, uh, as is the NCA information that becomes aggregate. The one big difference with EADA that makes it a little bit challenging is that there is a large pool of money at almost all of the institutions that is tagged as quote unallocated expenses. There's also unallocated revenue, but we're we're focusing on the expense side right now. But unallocated expenses really are things that aren't that the institution does not categorize as directly attributable to a specific sport team, gender, whatever category you're looking at. And so, for example, this could be the cost of running an academic advising center. The academic coordinators, that's a significant investment for an institution. Um, It's a business unit within athletics. And therefore, even though an academic coordinator may work with a specific team, it's really a business unit that's pulled out because it supports all of the teams. And the same thing can, can be said for athletic leadership. Athletics director salary, associate athletics directors, even though they may have sports supervision responsibilities over a specific team, that expense is considered unallocated as a leadership expense.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you have just that alone, a whole unit of, if you're a bigger institution, especially your whole advising unit is unallocated, and then you throw in salaries. that can. So I can see the dollars, they're just adding up in my head while you're saying that. Uh, I think of, of the University of Oregon, um, so they have one of the nicest that I've ever been to academic advising buildings um, that I got a tour of when I was there last year, and um, it's under the institution, and so if you looked at Oregon's athletic, you wouldn't see um, anything associated with that either, so I think even that could draw a wrench in, in not showing up in the financial reporting, would I be correct for
2: You'd be absolutely correct. And in fact, if you think about it from that respect, you, the facilities component is one that's incredibly difficult to capture. So whether it's the actual salaries at Oregon of those individuals that are supporting student athletes, now they are students. So there's nothing wrong with that structure from an organizational structure standpoint. This is not about judging the way institutions operate. It's simply trying to figure out the best way to compare apples to apples or or a better way to compare apples to apples across institutions. But your example of Oregon is great, and then you think about maybe debt service on major competitive venues, right? Or you think about um, all sorts of aspects of daily operations. Does, is the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, is that an athletics department expense? Some places, but not others. And although activity-based costing gets us closer, with things that are reported out in a public way from the athletics department, it certainly doesn't solve things that are a function of how a university operates, like debt service on a venue where all debt service is through the institution and not athletics. And so this gets us closer because it takes something like academic advising and basically uses some unit. And so if you use the unit of number of hours that academic coordinators, right, work, and then you figure out what the cost per hour is, and then you take that and attribute it back to the teams based on the number of student athletes per team, you start to have a better understanding of academic support services. From a building perspective, it can certainly be done, but it's a little bit more challenging. And again, it still does not solve the challenge of university operations and kind of who, quote, owns the expense.
1: Yeah, it's just, uh, there's so many ways to do it, it seems like, and, and I wonder how much um, this would change with what's going on right now with kind of the government looking at ways to revamp a lot of the NCAA's uh, items, such as, uh, obviously everyone knows about name, image, and likeness, and, and the government's involvement potentially in that. And I was reading through it. You do mention a little bit in the article that I just want to comment on real quick so that people can can understand and read it. It's ever-changing, but you do look at and comment that the government is looking at ways to revamp financial reporting for the NCAA. There's two proposals in there. One of them is kind of part of a bigger proposal where they want to start a commission to study college athletics a little closer. And and I think with um, now diving into the NIL that we might see... um, maybe some changes coming to financial reporting that they can also control like maybe how it goes with the EADA. So um, that part will just be interesting to watch unfold as uh, as there's a bigger light shined on um, on this area of college athletics.
2: Yeah, and I can just, just comment on that. You know, I think uh, right now what we're seeing in contemporary leadership in intercollegiate athletics is that there is change internally with the external pressure. And so we're seeing that with name image and likeness where the NCA had not made a lot of of movement in that space until there was state and then the, the, the pressure of possible federal intervention on that issue. My personal opinion is that it's less likely that there will be federal legislation passed with respect to transparency and finance in intercollegiate athletics, but that if it moves forward in the conversation, it will then trigger some more internal dialogue at the institutional conference and national level about fixing it ourselves before there could be federal intervention.
1: Yeah, I think we need to get this paper in front of uh, some individuals in Congress for, it seems like every week, there's now a congressional hearing uh, on delay maybe, they need to be talking about the financial reporting uh, at a congressional hearing. So maybe they can. They need to take a look at this paper and, uh, you know, Ohio University's sports administration. I mean, you all have uh, quite the reputation in college athletics um, as kind of being nationally known and the leader in type, types of things like this. So who knows? Maybe they need to rely on some experts uh, in the field to to have a different perspective of financial reporting. All right, my last question is about implementation. So imagine that you were given the green light, you and your team, as far as you're gonna help educate people on how to actually roll this out and why they need to. Have you all considered what the implementation process and timeline looks like for a school or group of schools to actually start switching to this so that they can actually get it going and they can benefit from it, especially coming out of COVID-19. Is it something that you need to have a lot of resources with or could everyone in Division 1 pretty much uh, look to transfer to something like this?
2: Great question. I think the the biggest barrier that has to be overcome is a common set of what the unit is that you use in each area. So like I mentioned, with respect to something like um, compliance operations. Is it the number of student athletes that the salaries of compliance gets pushed back to uh, and allocated to? Or is it something that is actually um, even more discreet than that? And the same thing kind of happens with respect to different support services and is a really interesting one to talk about because ticketing um, sales and operations staffs um, certainly support all sports, right? do they support an unticketed sport? In some cases, they actually do in some way. So if you use something like the number of tickets sold to attribute cost back to different sports, you are missing a piece of it. And so the conversation around what the unit is per aspect of unallocated expense is going to be the piece that would would slow this down. And just like anything else, different institutions and athletics departments Um, are more successful in certain areas or have different things that they, where they do allocate resources more strongly in. And so getting general agreement on that will be challenging. Um, If it could be done, I think there's a way, kind of a hybrid method in my opinion. And this is where I think we should be headed. And I continue to think about it as I look at future research. I think we can do a better job and not be perfect. I think there's some areas where the, it's gonna be so challenging to get agreement that we're better off continuing to leave unallocated expenses in some areas and focusing on big chunks, like some of the general and administrative salaries. Um, Focusing on those, coming up with a way that really is commonly used across institutions and working to use activity-based costing in a way that people agree on, but also recognize there will continue to be on un- allocated expenses. So it gets us closer. And then the next piece of that is understanding the meaning of results and, and why. So just because we do it, doesn't mean that it's meaningful. You have to do something with it. So what is it tied to? Is there a buy-in to actually make decisions based on what the findings are? And whether that means that institutions that are considering or have eliminated sports maybe they do this and they realize that they actually didn't have as much cost savings as they anticipated because they still had their entire academic support staff, even if you eliminate a few sports, right? Or maybe it goes the other way. Maybe there's actually more cost savings or more directed cost savings based on understanding how much of these different units go toward each sport. And so it's really just a way to have a better understanding of the entire budget process. I think actually implementing it, it sure would be a brave conference to to go ahead with it. There's been some other excellent research in this area. One study in particular that talked to business officers within athletics departments and kind of, you know, just pitched this idea to them. Do they know what activity-based costing is? What would be the barrier to implementing it? And there's just not much understanding with what it is, how it could be done, and what the potential value is. And so I think the education piece of it, um, you know, could be be critical. Um, and I think people want to want to see that it they're not going to be out there on an island in case there's some things that maybe the media could pick up on as not as positive.
1: Yeah, I think. The implementation that uh, coming out of this uh, is what I I tend to focus on because we want people to uh, understand it, and you talk about how they they might not understand it yet. Um, but what worries me is coming out of this is consultants being used for decisions such as should we reclassify? So it's not just the cutting sports, but should we go from Division Two to Division One, and what's that look like with our financial things? That's becoming been a pretty popular consulting gig as far as do we relocate and then now we have to do we cut sports. And so uh, trying to find out accurate ways to do this is, is important. And I think hopefully a conference, that's what I was going to ask uh, as a follow-up is do you think this is a conference decision um, that a conference can selectively do this? Um, because the institutions are typically the same size. Uh, it's most of the time in the same geography, uh, so the same geographic location and uh, mission of the institution. So maybe, maybe when it's at a conference like the MAC or another conference looks to do this, I, I see a lot of benefit in it. I think maybe next step is there just needs to be a little bit of education and outreach. Um, the NCAA started last year called the Academic Summit where they wanna share ideas between um, the institution side and the athletic side. Maybe we have a new agenda item for the Academic Summit uh, to maybe talk about activity-based costing. So. I wanna thank you for for writing the paper with your colleagues, but also sharing it with the Sports Innovation Journal and then being on the podcast. We're gonna link up the, the actual download on the uh, podcast and we'll have an infographic for everyone to easily understand. I think there needs to be a broader conversation about ABC for a post-COVID college athletics landscape.
2: Awesome, Travis, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing research in this area and certainly welcome feedback and ideas from both practitioners and academics alike.
1: Thank you.